What's going on, all you Brainiacs out there? And welcome back to yet another episode of the Fantasy Football Laboratory. I am your host, the King of Trade, Jane Palma, joined as always by the chemist, Jack McGrath. Jane, how are we doing today? No Lucas, again. I feel like every time, like either I miss an episode, like you don't miss. You never miss. And it's either me or Lucas that misses. So I've never done like a one-on-one episode with Lucas before. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's that'd be an interesting combo. It'd be a, you guys would have a good conversation flow. But I, you know, you're here. kind of, you know, I, I don't want to call you the glue, but you're kind of the glue that that holds. I mean, you you get into fights sometimes when it comes to Miles Sanders, maybe or or Antonio Brown, which we're going to talk about in a little bit on how you've gotten me hooked on Antonio Brown now. Uh, but definitely, I think Lucas and I would just be screaming at each other for yeah. most of the episode. He might yeah. even hang up on me at one point if he doesn't like what I'm saying. He's done that before uh, where he hangs up on us, but that, that's all in good fun. But yeah, I, I'm exactly what you're saying. Just got it. So, sometimes we do get into it a little bit and we kind of need three people there because usually it's not all three of us battling each other. There's usually a third party who's like, I don't really, I don't really have a strong opinion on that. Yeah, so. exactly. And I wish Lucas was here for this episode because I'm going to make a relatively big announcement, but I'm going to preface this with, I don't know if you're familiar, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but I don't know if you watch it. Are you a fan or watch Rick and Morty? I've heard of it. I haven't. I've seen like two episodes. All right. That I, I figured it would probably lean that way for you. I've been on a huge kick lately. I finally sat down, started watching it. It might be one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. Um, if you haven't watched it, it's on Hulu right now. They've got four full seasons. Uh, if you're looking for something to do over the next few weeks while the, the new episodes of season five come rolling out. But for the next two weeks, the Fantasy Football Laboratory is quote unquote partnering with Rick and Morty. Wubba-lubba-dub-dub! Uh, we are, you know, as the lab, uh, Rick runs his own lab on Rick and Morty. So I figured there's there's no better timing, especially with season five out right now. So over the next few weeks, some of the episodes are going to have themed things from Rick and Morty in them. Uh, you might hear some sound bits uh, on Twitter. You'll probably see some pretty cool graphics that I'm going to make up. And over on TikTok, we're going to have some fun with that. But Rick and Morty take over the next few weeks on the Fantasy Football Laboratory. That should be a good time. I'm excited. I'm going to have to watch more episodes now. You should. I'm, the first yeah. season is amazing. The, the episodes I've seen are hilarious. They're, yeah, they're fantastic. They're I, I just got to get back into it. Yeah, no, and we're going to start it off today with one of Rick's signature phrases. And that's the way the news goes. Because we got some news to talk about today. We're going to start it off right now. Not the most exciting stuff in the world, but this is the most notable things that have happened since we last recorded. A few offensive linemen have been signed. A few, few offensive lines have been shuffled around a little bit. The Jets bringing in uh, former Washington football right tackle Morgan Moses on a one-year deal. Steelers cutting to Castro and bringing in Trey Turner, not the baseball player, the former Chargers guard. Let's uh, start with the Jets one here. I, I broke this down on our TikTok talking about how I thought this was a great signing for the Jets to get a veteran presence on the line. He'll compete with George Fant for that right tackle spot, and I expect him to win it uh, from PFF last year. He had a, a grade of 80.6, which was actually sixth best among all right tackles last season. He had a career year and then was released by Washington, which was a little bit surprising. Uh, 
pass blocking a little bit weaker. I think it was like a 74.2 grade, but his run block, 85.6, which was one among one of the best among all tackles in the league. What I focused on when breaking down this news was the impact it's going to have on Michael Carter, a guy who I did a video on the other day talking about him as a, another guy to focus on as a great late round sleeper. Uh, people, people are telling me that in some of the drafts that they've done, they've seen him go in the fifth round. Uh, I think people just like to troll on TikTok because I don't think I've ever seen Michael Carter go anywhere near the fifth round. He's still going uh, in the eighth round in some of the mocks that I've done. But Jack, what do you think about the signing and what this means for for Michael Carter? Yeah, no, I like it a lot. I, anytime you sign a, a good offensive lineman, somebody who can contribute, that's huge because not only – even if he doesn't start, even if he doesn't win that spot, they have depth now on that offensive line. So if somebody goes down midseason, it's not a huge deal. Well, it's still a big deal, but it's not as big of a deal as it was. So the depth's going to help. He could step in immediately and be a starter. It does help Michael Carter, especially with those grades you were bringing up. I didn't even realize the run and pass block difference was that big in terms of grades for him. I was thinking it would help Zach Wilson, but obviously it does help Michael Carter out. A little bit more. The concern there with Michael Carter still is the same as it always has been. The Jets offensive line is improving, but the concern is going to be that Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman, who are still listed as ahead of him on the depth chart, take carries from him. And if that happens, okay, it's probably going to happen. But Michael Carter could easily win a role later in the season or right at the beginning of the season, will have some type of role and win the starting role later. And if he has a solid offensive line that's running the ball a decent amount, then he's going to be in a really good spot fantasy wise, especially at that eighth round price. And you don't have, yeah, eighth round price. You don't have to pay an RB2 price for him to get RB2 value for him later on in the draft. That's the great thing about Michael Carter right now. And and a guy like uh, Trey Sermon, a guy who's being drafted as an RB3 and four. And that's another news piece that came out this week. We'll get to the cash in a second. But since we're on the rookie running backs here, uh, one of the beat riders for the 49ers came out and said that Trey Sermon could make an impact as a rookie. Now he's being drafted as the RB41 and half PPR leagues. And I mean, Mostert's going to start. I don't think there's any question about that. His experience in that backfield, his experience in the system, uh, and especially where he's being drafted right now, he's still a seventh round pick in most leagues. But after Mostert, I mean, you know, you have Wayne Gallman, who you brought in, but how much of a role is he going to have? Jeff Wilson's out for at least the first six, seven weeks of the season. They also drafted Elijah Mitchell. But I think, you know, taking Sermon at the 88th pick in the NFL draft means something for this 49ers team. And I think he's going to have a role. I, I'm still willing to hedge my bets on Michael Carter having more of an early season role and, and you getting more value of him as a potential RB2 than Sermon right out of the gate. I mean, you're talking about uh, LaFleur coming in there for the Jets as their offensive coordinator. So it's still a, a similar system to the 49ers of how they're going to use running backs. But I think Carter has a better chance of beating out his competition than, than Sermon out of the gates. No, I would agree with you there. I'm 100% on that same print. I, what we saw from Wayne Gallman last year, he was a pretty decent back after. He was, an RB2. he was an RB2 when given the touches to be an RB2. Exactly. So he was pretty decent last year, and it's not like that's a signing that's not going to get any carries. I think Wayne Gallman does get carries in that offense. He's a solid backup, so maybe not a ton, but he'll get a few touches a game. Uh, Mostert, obviously, is the RB1. There's been enough touches in that 49ers backfield to where – Everybody has some type of fantasy value, but there's never been enough touches to where everybody has decent fantasy value that you can put in your lineup week to week. So like everybody will be relevant and have touches, 
but not everybody's going to be able to crack your starting lineup. And at this point, that's what I think we're looking at with the 49ers backfield. I'm exactly with you there. I don't think there's a scenario where Trey Sermon takes the outright advantage this season in terms of carries. I think there's a scenario where he splits carries, but I don't think he ever takes the full lead, full worker horse load like Michael Carter could. Yeah, he's not going to see 60% of touches no. or snaps uh, on the offense at all this season, unless like everyone, because, you know, 49ers have those injury issues, unless every single player goes down and Sermon's last man standing, there is going to be competition. I mean, you can talk about Jamichael Hasty too, was a guy that even last year, he was, he was a waiver wire pickup at one point when they were dealing with so many injuries. They have so many running backs in that backfield. It's impossible to predict which guy is going to have a big week if Sermon's ADP stays at the RB41 and maybe Carter went and I still need an RB4, yeah, I'll take the shot on Sermon. I'll add him to the back end of my bench and maybe I'll take someone like Naheem Hines around later who I know I can start right out, you know, right away and that he's going to get me that consistent PPR points if I need that if something happens to one of my early season running backs. Other than that, though, I think Sermon is more of a shot in the dark than Carter at the moment. Let's move on to the other piece of news I brought up earlier. David DeCastro was cut from the Steelers. Now he's considering retirement. He's had some surgeries over the past few years, and they just felt it was time to move on, and they bring in Trey Turner. Now, when you talk about the Steelers and their offensive line, people see this as their biggest weakness, and we're shocked that they went with Najee Harris in the draft instead of getting a Christian Darasar or one of the other offensive linemen available at their pick. Yeah, I think it was 22 or 23, 22, I think. Uh, and, and they went with Harris. And now Harris, for me, in fantasy right now, is the RB13, just ahead of Joe Mixon and DeAndre Swift and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Where do you have Najee Harris right now? Right now, I think Najee Harris is a solid second to third round pick. I haven't really moved him. I have him at 24 overall. That's I, That can change for me very easily. But that I think that DeCastro cut does definitely hurt him. I, David DeCastro has been a good offensive lineman for that team. And it's not like the Steelers' offensive line was good to begin with. You mentioned that, that we were thinking they would go with another offensive lineman in the draft, and then they didn't. I'm a little bit concerned about the Steelers' offensive line. Najee Harris, obviously a better back than James Conner, but James Conner didn't produce last year, and he's still a decent running back, and the system might not be made for a running back to produce in fantasy, especially just starting next year. I, I don't fully agree. I, I think Ben's lost it. I really do. I don't think Ben, you know, people are projecting Deontay Johnson to be this un, un, ungodly stud of a wide receiver because of his ADP. And Chase Claypool is going to repeat with the touchdowns and double it and have 18 next year. I don't think Ben can throw it. I think, honestly, what people are underrating is the ability of Juju to be that tight end like slant receiver, slot receiver, where he can just come in there and eat up those short yard passes. But you're going to see dink and dunks out of the backfield with Najee Harris. I think Najee Harris could legitimately average like four catches or, or more per game. Uh, and that's going to easily help his, his value, especially when you look at some of those other running backs in that range. You see Najee Harris is just a pure runner, but if he's going to be able to catch the ball, you know, whether he's lining up at wide receiver, like we saw r reports of uh, early in the mini camps, or he's actually going to be catching passes out of the backfield, it's his backfield. It's his backfield to lose, and he's not going to lose it. So I definitely like the second round uh, valuation of Najee Harris at the moment. Looking at the Turner signing, though, so last year, Turner was graded outside the top 100 guards, uh, according to PFF, but he dealt with a ton of injuries because before that, he had five consecutive Pro Bowl selections. This guy's no, you know, no slouch. He, Trey Turner is a great guard. He just happened to deal with a lot of stuff last year. 
depending on which version of him the Steelers get, does that help or hurt Harris? I mean, you're not going to be able to tell before you draft because you're not going to see him on the field. But if you were willing to bank on a comeback season for Turner, does that boost Harris in any way in your rankings? Oh, yeah, 100%. He'd probably move up a couple spots in my rankings. And we'll see that in camp, right? We're going to find that out before the season. We'll see that in preseason if he's playing and if he's if he's getting decent playing time and how well he's doing. If he's holding up in preseason and throughout camp, then yes, I think Najee Harris does move up a bit because then the DeCastro not being on the team anymore, it obviously gets canceled out by the Turner signing. All right, let's move on to our last big news story here. James Robinson expected to be heavily involved in the Jaguars system. I'm not loving everything that I'm hearing out of the Jaguars camp. Not not the, the Chenault stuff, because I love Chenault, even though that it's driving me crazy that his ADP is skyrocketing because of everything that they're saying. But Trevor Lawrence isn't ready. I'm not so sure how much I'm really buying into this offense. I mean, looking at the James Robinson story, they were talking about how they want him to be still, you know, just as involved in the run game. And, and you know, he, he's going to get most, if not all, of the goal line work. And then they say, well, if they're down in game, it's going to be all Etienne. And that Etienne's going to be one on the field. He's going to be one of the receiving uh, touches out of the backfield in the receiving game. And he's not and, – and then Robinson will be like a back-end RB3 at that point if he's not going to see any action on the field. I do not buy – the Jaguars being good next season. I mean, I don't know how many people do. Uh, I don't buy them having a good offense. I don't think they can sustain fantasy relevancy for Chark, Jones, Etienne, Robinson, Chenault. I, I think it's like, especially with, with you have a rookie quarterback coming in. Granted, it's one of the best rookie quarterback prospects that we've seen in a long, long time. But if he's not fully healthy and he's not ready, who's to say someone lays a finger on him in week two and all of a sudden urban Meyer pulls him. He's like, we got to protect our guy. Trevor Lawrence is going to sit for a week. We're going to see what he does. Gardner Minshew starts. I'm saying that, you know, Gardner Minshew dealt with his own injuries last year and was still, you know, a serviceable quarterback and, and was able to sling the ball to Chark a few years ago when he was healthy. But I, I'm really, I'm not buying into the Jaguars offensive hype train. I can't, I can't get aboard right now. No, I'm kind of with you on this one. Everything we're hearing screams inconsistency from that camp in terms of fantasy production, right? Because if Robinson carries the ball for half the games and carries the ball consistently for eight of the 17 games, then that's fantastic. Then he's going to be decent for eight of the 17 games. But the other eight games or the other nine games this year, he's not going to put up production. Same thing with Etienne. If they're throw, if they're down in half the games, and they'll be down in more than half the games this season, but if they're down in half the games this season, then you're only seeing PPR production out of Etienne if that's the way we're going. I think Etienne will sustain fantasy value no matter what, because I think his PPR receptions are going to be there. Robinson, I'm more concerned about, because unless you're in a standard league, he's not getting the receptions, and he's not scoring touchdowns, and he's not the main goal red zone goal line threat, then suddenly I'm just, I'm not sure I'm not sold on his value either. I'm with you, Shane. I don't know if they can sustain enough offensive value at this point. It's, I mean, there's a lot of names in that offense, right? LaVisca Chenault's a guy that we're, we're high on. And if he's another guy and then you also throw in Chark and Jones, then suddenly they have to sustain three wide receivers. There's not a lot of teams in the NFL that can do that fantasy-wise. So there's a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. And I think they're going to get narrowed down. This Jaguars team is still rebuilding and they're going to find who their talented guys are. And I think it's going to narrow down throughout the season and we'll see two-ish guys emerge from that offense, maybe three who are putting up legitimate fantasy value on a week-to-week -week basis. But other than that, I'm a little bit concerned. 
And, you know, James Robinson, people can come back and say, well, James Robinson was on an even worse team last year with the worst quarterback, worst situation around him, and still finished in 15 games as the RB7 overall. And yes, that's true. But when you look at the receiving numbers, the amount of times they were down in these games, it was just boom, dump it off, dump it off, Robinson. I mean, he averaged over four and a half targets per game. He had games where he had eight targets, seven targets. Like they were just literally just throwing it to Robinson, letting him run. Uh, and and he definitely had his fair share on the on the bad run defenses, Houston and Green Bay and Minnesota. He, he tore those guys up, which is what you want to see. The Lions and and the Dolphins, or I guess the Dolphins are in the season. He had that great receiving game, uh, but and that's what you want to see out of a running back. But he, if you cut that legitimately in half, if you cut that production in half, you, I, I can't trust him week to week. And he's not a guy. You know, I love James Robinson. I loved what he did for me last year. Fantastic waiver wire pickup. His ADP right now is still somewhere in the early sixth round. Uh, and that is right around the same ADP that I've seen Mike Davis go around. And I really don't think it's close between those two of who I'm going with right now. I mean, it's Mike Davis clear in a way as the running back I would take every single time. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at a workhorse versus a guy who's going to get half the touches in that offense out of the backfield. And so you go with the guy in the better offense who's going to be the workhorse every single time. All right, let's move on to our next and final segment that's going to take us through the rest of the episode. Are we getting swifty? Oh, yeah. You gotta get swifty. With these players, that's not the... I, I wanted to incorporate a Rick and Morty thing in there, but it's really just, are we buying or selling some of these scenarios for certain players heading into 2021 with the news that I'm hearing around the league, uh, taking into the, you know, the mini camp high praise into account the stuff that i'm seeing on tiktok who people are buying who people are selling we're going to start with this one just because of course lucas had to make his way into this episode he just sent us a text message with some stats featuring chris carson and joe mixon i have it right here so the first buyer sell that we're going to be talking about is joe mixon over chris carson next season now michelle i i'm sorry i can't say your last name mags Zidiak, I mean, she's verified. If you are in the fantasy football community, you probably know who I'm talking about. Ball Blastum, at Ball Blastum on Twitter, broke down a stat of percent of weekly finishes for fantasy football since 2019 between Chris Carson and Joe Mixon. Starting off with Chris Carson, RB1 week, 37% of the games that he's played since 2019. RB2 week, 37% of the games that he's played. RB3 or worse, 26%. So that's that's pretty even evenly split, I would say. You know, he's going to be an RB one, RB two, and then on the on the worst case scenario, an RB three outside that top twenty four week to week since two thousand nineteen. Now you look at Joe Mixon, my not so great guy, my not guy, Joe Mixon, RB one week, thirty six percent of games, very comparable to Chris Carson, one percent off, so still on the same lines. RB two, fourteen percent of those weeks since twenty nineteen. RB3 or worse in half, 50% of the games that Joe Mixon has played in since 2019, where he's been healthy, he has finished as an RB3 outside of the top 24 or worse. Jack, would you rather Chris Carson over Joe Mixon, or is this I, just a total overreaction? I know you I've love been Carson. This. I know I've you been love saying Carson. this. I have Chris Carson as my 16th overall player right now, still. And that's where I had him at the beginning. That's a little nuts. It's excessive. I'm not going to draft him there. He'll go in the third round. I don't think I need to take him in the second, maybe at the end of the second. And I can get better players at the top of the second. But at this point, Chris Carson is a, is a consistent running back 
who puts up double-digit points in PPR, who is, who's getting the volume and is now in a Seattle offense that runs the ball a pretty decent amount and has always run the ball a pretty decent amount. I'm looking at Chris Carson's PPR stats last year. There was, now he was hurt for a portion of the year, so he only played 12 games. But out of those 12 games, there was only one game in P, or two games, excuse me, in PPR scoring where he finished under double digit points. He was a consistent running back. He was going to get you points. Chris Carson does not lose you games. He's the best. He, he shouldn't be your RB1. I'm not saying draft him as your RB1, but if you can pair him with a stud running back and pair him as your RB2, he's going to consistently get you points. He's going to have 25 point games. He's going to have a receiving floor. He's going to have a rushing floor because they give him carries in that offense. He gets double digit carries most of the games that he plays. Yeah, I, I like Chris Carson a lot. Joe Mixon has been inconsistent in the past. Now, obviously, Joe Mixon has a higher ceiling because we saw that from the RB1 finishes that he does have those RB1 finishes, and we didn't get to see a full season of Joe Mixon last year. But at the moment, Chris Carson, he, he's put up production for two years in a row, three years in a row when he plays. I, I can't really pass that up at this point, and there's not a lot of competition there either. No, I mean, you know, Carlos Hyde now in the Jacksonville Jaguars, another reason to avoid that offense and avoid James Robinson and that whole backfield in general. Uh, listen, I can't fully disagree with you. When healthy, Chris Carson is consistent, he's valuable, and he's going to put up at worst, you know, according to these stats, RB2 numbers. I just prefer in my own right the some of the running backs that I have above him with the upside that they possess. Uh, I mean, I've got guys like Clyde, who I think is in for a rebound comeback season, even though it's only his second year in the league. Uh, DeAndre Swift, a guy who I think, you know, especially with the improved offensive line that the that the Lions worked on during the draft, getting swell. I think that was huge for Swift. Uh, and even though they had the downgraded quarterback and the downgraded offense overall, he's, he's still going to be a focal point, if not the focal point uh, out of the backfield. I think his upside is is RB1. And, uh, you know, Chris Carson definitely could finish as an RB1 next season, 100%, uh, not even taking injuries into account, even though he has had his fair share over the past few seasons. Uh, it, again, it just comes down to me for preference of upside. Uh, but if I'm there in the late third round and I'm looking at the running back situation, um, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I still won't take Chris Carson because I know Miles Gaston is going to be there. And I don't know if you saw the TikTok or anything that I posted last night, Jack, but I... I I, uh, I I slammed all my chips on the table. I put the cards down. I said, I'm all in. I'm all in on, on Miles Gaskin next season. I, feel, I believe in it. I, I've been looking at the stats. I've been looking at the tapes. I've been reading everything that's coming out of the Dolphins camp. And I'll give this one to you. Are you buying or selling Miles Gaskin as a top 10 running back or an RB1 next season? Top 10 is tough. Uh, oh, man. Top 10, I don't know if I can give him that. I'll give him a solid top 15 top 20 i don't think what i makes you, I, I want to know because one of the arguments that i had against me uh yesterday when i posted that video someone said well they they brought in malcolm brown who's going to steal like red zone touches and i said well when you look at the numbers that i that i that i then proceeded to pull up and send to this guy malcolm brown had 21 red zone attempts last season in all the games that he played which is i think uh all of them if not he missed one or two Miles Gaskin in 10 games had 42 attempts in the red zone. So I'm, you know, every backfield's going to have competition. Zeke has Tony Pollard, you know, uh, Dalvin cook has Madison, uh, you know, all, all these guys, Chubb has cream hunt and we're not freaking out. I'm not freaking out about Malcolm Brown or Salvin Ahmed 
being in that backfield and not allowing for Gaskin to see 15 plus touches a game. I don't think that's unrealistic to expect Gaskin who averaged over 21 touches per game when healthy last season to see 15 touches per game. And you're getting that right now at an ADP of 48 overall. So I could, I'd feel very comfortable going running back in the first round, no matter who it is second and third round, maybe I'll grab Waller in the third. And in the second round, I'll grab a wide receiver one that's still there like a Deandre Hopkins or, or Calvin Ridley or AJ Brown. And then I have an offense that legitimately could look like Austin Eckler, Miles Gaskin is my two running backs. Love that. We'll say I get Hopkins as my wide receiver one, and I have Darren Waller. I am set with that start right there. And then yeah. I can come back in the fifth and grab Mike Davis as my third running back. I really don't hate that at all. I, I'm I'm looking at the stats, and I, I do get where Gaskin could come in. So if Gaskin's going to be top ten, it means he needs to be above DeAndre Swift for me. It means he needs to be above Cam Akers. Miles Sanders and Antonio Gibson or Joe Mixon basically is where he would need to. And I don't have, and I don't have Gaskin ranked in my top. I have him at 16 right now. Like that's where I'm projecting to finish, which is, is, is around the area that you said, but I, I know wholeheartedly that he definitely could finish inside that top 10 with the opportunities that he's going to have in that offense. You know, I know the thing we're going to get to in a second is two is throwing downfield more. We're going to talk about that offense as a whole, but I think Gaskin, you know, you look at the numbers too, even just from a fantasy perspective, he had one game. I think it was one game, if not no games, where he had uh, less than double-digit points last year. Otherwise, every single game he started, every single game he played, over double-digit fantasy points. Yep. And that game, was, that game was a nine-point game too. Yeah, he, there it is. Yeah, so it was the one game, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, it makes sense. He's consistent. The thing with Carson and the thing with Gaskin that I love so much is that they're consistent, right? There's not a whole lot of sure things in fantasy football. For me, Chris Carson's a sure thing. Miles Gaskin, he's not there yet because we know that there still might be a little bit of competition and a difference in system in terms of offense in Miami there. But he's pretty close to a sure thing too. Like he's going to put up points every single week that you put him in your lineup. So I I like both those guys as sure things. And Gaskin is a steal right now. I'm right there with you. I love Gaskin if you can get him past the third round. So the other buy or sell scenario that I had, this one's way hotter than the one that we just talked about. Tua is throwing the ball downfield more. I know Gaskin even came out in an interview the other day and said he loves the speed that the team has. I mean, they have Will Fuller. They have Parker, who's definitely not a burner on the team, but he still has relatively good speed. And they brought in Jalen Waddle. So this team is going to be running circles around the competition as long as their quarterback can keep up. Do you buy or do you sell Tua Tungavailoa finishing as a top 10 quarterback in fantasy football next year? Oh, I don't. Not yet. I, I don't think that's there yet. We didn't see a whole lot of fantasy production from Tua last year. He has a good offense. He has a good system around him, but I'm just not there yet to say that Tua is going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback. There's so many good quarterbacks. We go through this every single time we talk quarterbacks. Like, there's 20 quarterbacks who could finish as the as a top five quarterback, basically. There's so many guys who are consistently good and are going to put up points because so many teams pass the ball at a high rate now. I'm not sold on Tua being top 10. There's a lot of notable names who I think are in just as good of systems, who are more talented passers at this point in Tua's career than Tua, and I think they are going to definitely finish. They have a higher chance of finishing top 10 than Tua does. Do you think, though, he can legitimately sustain all three of those wide receivers and hold this offense together with Gaskin coming out of the backfield and having a receiving role? 
I don't think Gaskin's harmed by and that. Gusecki. And and throwing Gusecki in there too. Yeah, I don't think Gaskin's harmed. I don't think I've ever been in the camp that they can sustain all three receivers. I, I don't think – I think one of them is going to fade for sure. I don't know if that's going to be Fuller, Parker, or Waddle, but one of them is not not going to sustain value. So uh, it's a dart throw. That's why they're being drafted where they're being drafted because you don't know what you're going to get. Now, once again, Parker has the same value that he basically did last year. His ceiling is the same value that he did last year, maybe a little bit more, maybe the year before. Fuller, we've seen, produces a wide receiver one before, right? We saw that in a few weeks yeah. last year. So that was with Deshaun Watson. Tua Tagovailoa is not Deshaun Watson at this point in his career. Maybe in a few years, Tua's passed him up and is a Super Bowl contender or Super Bowl winning quarterback. But I don't think we're there yet with Tua in terms of sustaining fantasy production. And so one of those receivers is going to fade. I have no idea who it's going to be. That's another thing that we have to wait a little bit more in terms of preseason and seeing what's going to happen. We're not going to know that till halfway through the season, honestly. And it could be a situation similar to what we saw in Cincinnati last year, where AJ Green doesn't produce for the first half of the year. And then he produces at the back half. That could be Will Fuller or Devontae Parker, where they don't produce in the front half. But then in the second half of the season, they start getting targets again. And we have to start fading them back into our fantasy rotation. So We'll see what happens. It's a similar situation to what we've seen before. There's a lot of mouths to feed in that offense, though. Gaskin's not harmed, though. Gaskin will be absolutely fine because they're, they're going to run the ball the same amount no matter what, no matter how well Tua's throwing the ball. Phenomenal segue for me here. We already talked about Joe Mixon and that Bengals offense, but another thing coming out of their minicamp is the fact that the Bengals offensive coordinator believes that a huge season is in store for Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins. Everyone's you know, believing the T Higgins hype now. I haven't seen it so far in drafts. He's still going in the seventh, eighth round in most case scenarios. And Jamar Chase is being drafted as the first Bengals wide receiver off the board. And then it's T Higgins. And then a few rounds later after that, in rounds nine, 10, it is Tyler Boyd. Do you buy or sell T Higgins being the best Bengals wide receiver for fantasy football next season? Oh, I'll buy that. I'll buy that 100%. We saw T Higgins last year when he was healthy and with Burrow there. It was fantastic. T Higgins was a type of guy that you wanted to have on your roster. He was consistently putting up 15 points per game um, in terms of PPR scoring. He's a guy that I want on my roster next year. And I think there's a definitely, there's a high chance that he finishes as the best wide receiver out of that bunch. Once again, it's a similar situation because there's three guys there who could all finish as the wide receiver one, but Boyd's getting older. T Higgins has been there with the year for a year in the NFL with Joe Burrow and Chase is just coming in year one as a rookie. So I'll go with Higgins. That, that'd be the best bet. I think at this point to finish as the wide receiver one in terms of scoring in Cincinnati. I mean, he had multiple games last season where he had a zero spot, you know, the last game of the season and the first game of the season and still averaged 12.2 fantasy points in PPR per game. He had games where he was the wide receiver overall 10, 11, 12. He had multiple games where he was a wide receiver one. And most of those came without Joe Burrow being quarterback. Not saying that he didn't have a connection with Joe Burrow. He actually had a very good connection with Joe Burrow. As we started to get into weeks four, five, and six of the season, uh, he was wide receiver 12, 16, 27, 10. Uh, he, he was performing well with Burrow, and then Burrow goes down. And then obviously you have Driscoll come in, and you have all these different quarterbacks in the carousel trying to figure out who's going to be throwing the ball in that Bengals offense. You have Joe Burrow back healthy now, you know, cross your fingers with that shaky offensive line now ready for the season. T Higgins, I think could be a value. I mean, you look at some of those other guys in that range for me, I'm still going to be taking Robbie Anderson over T Higgins every single time that I see it, because I would say that's the the best comparison of another wide receiver going in that area uh, in terms of value. But if we get to a point where it's round eight, 
and I'm looking at the board and you have those makeshift running back committees with, you know, that are led by David Johnson and Raheem Mostert, uh, or, you know, it's just that tight end wasteland. And I already happened to grab Darren Waller or Travis Kelsey or someone like that early on, then yeah, T Higgins as my wide receiver three or four, uh, a guy who could finish as a wide receiver two, a high end wide receiver two, you're going to take the chance on that every single time. I think that's great value. Uh, if you're getting him as your wide receiver three, absolutely. I'll take that every single time. All right. Next scenario here. This is a fun one. Um, I like this one a lot. Buy or sell Mac Jones will be more fantasy relevant than both Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields in 2021. We already talked about Trevor Lawrence with the health health issues that he's dealing with. And Matt Nagy has now said on like 15,000 different occasions that Andy Dalton is going to be the starter for the Bears week one. Mac Jones is currently making a push and, and giving Cam a run for his money at camp. He legitimately could start week one as the Patriots starter. Yeah, if he's starting there, it's a good enough offense. The weapons are not the same as they were two or three years ago when Tom Brady was putting up fantastic seasons. I don't know Mac about Jones. that. I mean, even, even when Tom, in his final year, uh, the Patriots didn't have the best supporting cast for him. I think that's one of the reasons he was, he was fed yeah. up and left, you know, he's still at Edelman obviously, but I think that last year, you know, Gronk was in and out uh, with the injuries that he was dealing with. And I, I honestly, I think he had Brandon cooks uh, and he had Antonio Brown for a game, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think there was many reliable uh, guys that he had to throw to there. I mean, now for the Patriots, you have Mac Jones that would go into a system with the two newly signed tight ends in Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry, yeah. multiple uh, wide receivers that they just got. And, you know, obviously they were turning Jacoby Myers uh, and who else they, they brought in Nelson Aguilar and they signed someone else. That Thomas Sanu, Sanu, I think. Sanu, I, I don't know if he's still there. Who would they bring in from the, um, the 49ers that I'm blanking on right now? It's not, it's not guy. I forget who it is. Jeez. I'm going to have to look that up. That's on me. Uh, but they, they, they signed, plenty guys and have a ton of weapons now for Mac Jones to, to be successful. If you were to come in there and start. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. If he comes in there and starts, he's going to be, he could be the best passer. He's we were saying he might be the most pro ready guy out of all of those quarterbacks going into the draft. Maybe not as much as Lawrence, but he's been to a national championship game. He's won a national championship game. He's ready to go. He, he's a solid pocket passer, which is, similar to what Tom Brady was. I, this It's such an easy comparison to make to Tom Brady coming in, and that's why everybody keeps doing it. That's why I keep doing it, just because it's what we've seen successful in, in, um, in excuse me, New England. I almost said Tampa Bay there, but in New England. So, yeah, realistically, I think he could be fantasy relevant. Will he pass up Lawrence right away? That, that would surprise me if that does happen. But I, the best fantasy quarterback last year was a pocket passer and Justin Herbert. So, could we see a similar thing happen with Mac Jones? No doubt in my mind. I mean, you even look at, you know, their, their offensive line and, and P and it was Kendrick Bourne, by the way, the guy that they brought yeah, in yeah. wide receiver uh, PFF right now has the Patriots ranked as the third best offensive line in the league behind the Colts and the Browns. They brought in Trent Brown and, you know, they have Michael on uh, I think he was a rookie last season. who was phenomenal. Now going into his second season, they have a top offensive line to protect whoever's under center, whether it's Cam Newton or Mac Jones. I legitimately could see myself drafting or picking up off waivers, even Mac Jones uh, in August and just seeing yeah. if he could be this year's Herbert. You know, yeah, the guy no, that you know, no one's no one's talking about him, has the weapons to succeed, has the arm. 
uh, people underrated him or, or seemingly overrated him in the draft process saying that he wasn't going to be much, but I mean, he has Bill Belichick. He has, he has a, a head coach in a, in a system that is built for a guy like him to come in there. And again, like I said, succeed immediately. So uh, put it on your radar, Mac Jones, you know, cue him up, star him up, whatever you need to do. If you drafted already, or if you didn't, he's a guy that I am keeping my eye on throughout training camp, throughout preseason. And, you know, throughout, as we lead up to the first week of the NFL season as a guy that could come out of nowhere yeah. and end up being a reliable fantasy starter uh, for quite some time. We have no. to wrap things up here uh, soon, but I want to get to at least one more uh, buy or sell. So but Jack, buy or sell, Saquon Barkley will not be the same running back next season and will not finish as an RB1. See, that's such a tough one. That is such a tough one because it, there's no way to really predict that. But with ACL injuries, we've seen it go both ways, right? We've seen Adrian Peterson come back from an ACL injury and be better than he ever was when he came back. He, and he was great with the Vikings. He broke records. But we've also seen the other side where players just completely fade off after an ACL injury. And it's a risk. It's a risk. And if Saquon Barkley comes back and he's fully healthy – then he is your RB1. He is the best player in fantasy football other than maybe Christian McCaffrey, right? But if he comes back and he's not fully healthy, the Giants offense isn't good enough to sustain value for Saquon Barkley on a consistent basis. If Saquon Saquon Barkley's just an above average running back and he's not a top five in terms of talent running back anymore, then he's just... He's, he's less than average in fantasy. He's an RB2. Yep, exactly. So, yes, I think realistically, I think he's going to be fine. I'm not that concerned at this point. I'm still drafting him in the late first round. But it's in the back of your mind. It is. It is. It's there. I don't like – you know I don't like risky players. I want sure things. That's why I have Chris Carson rated so highly. He's a sure thing. I With Saquon Barkley, that's really not a sure thing for me. That could be a bust of a first-round pick, and then you'll kind of lose your first-round pick if he doesn't pan out. If, you know, with that in the back of your mind, where do you have Saquon ranked right now overall? Overall, let me pull it up. I think I have him around nine. I have him nine. So what running backs do you have above him that you see as more sure things that you would take in the first round? I know Aaron Jones is your go-to. He's definitely there right now, but who else? The big three, McCaffrey, Cook, Henry, Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, Ezekiel Elliott, and Austin Eckler is who I have ranked above him right now. All right. Uh, who do you have behind him? Who are some guys that you I guys have Alvin Kamara one spot behind him? He's basically in a dead tie. And if Jameis Winston's the starting quarterback, then Alvin Kamara is going to jump him. If, uh, if, if Jameis Winston's starting quarterback, Alvin Kamara should be right back at number four. Exactly. So if that happens, then Alvin Kamara's back top four. Um, I also have, then I have a big gap actually in terms of overall rankings. I have a whole bunch of receivers. Then I have Chris Carson sprinkled in there. I'm sure you have then Travis I, Kelsey in there. Oh, I think you said him earlier anyway, but yeah. Yeah, Travis Kelsey's in there. I have all my receivers basically up until 23 where I have a run of running backs. And behind him, I have Najee Harris, Antonio Gibson, Miles Sanders, Joe Mixon, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, Gaskin. It's basically a huge tier of running. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is jumping up very slowly to the top of that tier is where I have all those guys. And Jonathan Taylor's in there somewhere too. I mean, so I it, you know, I still, sorry, go watching. No, I was going to say, I still have Saquon, I think as my overall like sixth player on the board and he's mm-hmm. going as the fourth or fifth running back in Yahoo yep. and ESPN and sleeper still. Yep. Uh, but you know, it's the past few days, the past, the past week or so, it's still 
been in the back of my mind. You know, we saw the report come out that Saquon will not see as many early season touches as we'd like, you know, because he's still, he's recovering still, yeah. you know, still coming off of that injury. You can't throw him into 20 touches a game. As soon as you start the year, obviously you have that extra game in the season this year that they just added. So he'll have just, you know, another extra week to ramp up full on football activities. Uh, but let's say you don't draft Saquon, right. And let's say we get through week three and week four and he's, you know, averaging 13 points per game. And he's averaging 14 to 15 touches per game. Is that a is that a buy low scenario that you'd be willing to take up on, or is that where you think he legitimately could finish next season? No, yeah. I mean, if he's only getting 10, 13 touches a game, 15 touches a game, yeah, I think you buy him there at that point. Well, you you're gonna look and see why is he getting 13 touches a game. You'll have to watch the games a little bit, and we'll be watching the game, so we'll let you guys know when that happens. But if he's looking fine and they're just easing them in because they need to ease them in and they don't want to overdo it, then yes, then you buy low on Saquon Barkley because Saquon Barkley, remember I did that two years ago when he came back from the ankle injury, he was, he was hurt. He was going to be out the next week too. I said, all right, I'll take Saquon Barkley. He's not looking great right now, but I know what he can do. And we know what he can do. We've seen his ceiling before. The floor is going to be there this year, though, and it might come at the very beginning of the next season. And if it does, that's when you buy Saquon Barkley. Absolutely. And that's going to do for us here on the Fantasy Football Laboratory today. No Lucas, but he will be back with us next time. And I'll let him know that it is a Rick and Morty themed week. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and on TikTok at FF Laboratory. Always have great content going up on there, especially with the Rick and Morty stuff that I'm going to be putting out over the next two weeks. And then, of course, FFLaboratory.com. We have breakouts. We have sleepers. We have bus. You can now enter the lab and see everything that you need for the 2021 season all in one place. Check us out, fflaboratory.com. You will not regret it. For the chemist, Jack McGrath, I am the king of trade, Shane Palma. Have a great day.